Hey, howdy, hey. Welcome, Welcome to, to the Texans, Texans Take. Okay, well, we have learned lessons over the past couple of days. Which one? Uh, don't fumigate yourself. Yeah, yeah, you won't be able to <coughs> breathe. Yeah. That have to breathe towards the mic and... Uh, <laughs> Go ahead so. and cough all over the mic. <laughs> That's right. So we, uh, we bought a new carpet cleaner, and... Uh, you know, these carpet cleaners, I think it's uh, really a lot of those like cleaning items that you use come with these little samples because mm-hmm. they want you to buy their product. And they make you feel really, really great about buying their product because they give you free samples. Yeah. So I was like, okay, well, fine. We were short-lived on the cleaner we use, which is natural and doesn't have any chemicals in it, which I've now gotten acquainted to, used to. So... Uh, Lisa was out of that stuff or about to run out and I was like hey, we got free samples <coughs> let's just use them and so while I'm going to work she cleans the whole house with this stuff and I come, I come in after that and it's like oh, it smells like chemicals in here I'm like oh yeah use that extra cleaner and now we're here mm. I can't breathe I've been like suffocating all day <coughs> coughing and of course, it's just like the serious allergic reaction, but because COVID's a thing, everybody. <gasps> right. Where you wearing a mask? Are you vaccinated? The Holy Spirit. <laughs> so got vaccinated yeah. a long time ago. Probably should have done it sooner. Yeah, but I'm feeling good about myself. That would be how I approach that from you know. Yeah, same. The angle of not carrying total sarcasm full tilt. Exactly, know? yeah. Sadly, people would never recognize that as sarcasm. Like, oh, that's good. That's really good. And I'd be like, yes. Yes, it is. Yes. You're right. We're Preach it, sister. <laughs> Preach it, sister, yeah. you know. Yeah. Um, it's like, man, what congregation do you go to? Uh, but no, no. Instead, everybody wants to, you know, murder babies and... Oh, and now the next thing is we want to like uh, vaccinate babies with this mm. stuff. Children heard, yeah. five to eleven, Lord have uh, mercy. And I've heard, I've heard that they're going further than than five. They're oh, wanting sure to start around two and a half, three with all the other vaccine. And so, whatever, yeah, that's people are going to learn their lesson the hard way. That's all I got to say about that. Unfortunately, but uh, you know. It, it, it has not been fun trying to breathe and convince people that I'm not dying of the plague. Yeah, my coworker. Every you time know what I, I was – before you say that, I was just what? thinking today, only because I was listening to something about consumption. This is exactly the same thing that happened, you know, when consumption was a thing. Oh, yeah. You know, yeah. one person would get it, and so they would, you know, go through the whole house and try to figure out who had who was already infected, and they'd right, just kill them. Right, And this isn't... This isn't we're, we're talking, you know, early, you know, yeah, mid-1700s. consumption like, you know, I just consumed the whole cake. Yeah, we're talking about uh, tuberculosis. Tuberculosis, TB. Uh, and they called it consumption because they thought it was a... Uh, a good man, Doc Yeah, they called it consumption because it would make you pale white, suck basically suck all the life out of you they thought it was demonic actually that's how i recently learned this this was fascinating to me monologuing about this for a minute that's how people uh came up here at least here in america Mm -hmm. broad it was different and the rumors had already been alive 
but now people, you know, in New England and other areas where it was prominent, tuberculosis, that is. Yeah. People began <laughs> spreading rumors that... You said, uh, you're talking about demons. Well, I was like, wait they're, a minute. They're everywhere. <laughs> um, but no, they thought it was a vampire. So that's, yeah. that's how you turn into a vampire. That was that was legitimately because they they accused it with you know they were always white and pale yeah and they were always bleeding because they had you know they'd cough up blood blood. yeah exactly that's legitimately (laughs) that's legitimately how but anyway your your roommate John not roommate but my coworker John every time he coughs he's just like you know not COVID not COVID you know he's just joking because he knows that I don't care but. uh, So it's like, let me get my Kobe cop all over the place. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, anyway. my, my owner does that too. He, he always, he, he makes like even a further, COVID cough. he makes it even a further thing. He call he doesn't call it coronavirus or COVID. He calls it Coronas. Mm. It's Coronas. And so he'll, he'll cough or sneeze and not Coronas. No Coronas. <clears throat> all right. Well, we have a red diamond Merlot. I can see I was in one and looks pretty good. So we've been doing a lot of California grapes. These are Washington grapes from Washington State, not Washington, D.C. Those are raisins. No. Ooh, that was better. All right, so hold on. Let's see if we can get this on the mic. You gotta do it just right. Hold on, this is gonna be great. This is gonna be grape. Listen. Okay, so. Oh man, the volume was all the way down. Shoot. Sure, sure. sure. I deserve that. Oh wow. That is bitterness. Well, is it good? Bitterness in a glass. Hold on. Try that. Oh, thank you for giving me your wine. That's a good wine. Fair point. Oh, pretty high bitterness, but it's a decent flavor. Oh, it's got a little sweetness too. Yeah. Wow. It's a bit sweet. So this is what was the the price range on this? Eight ninety nine. Eight ninety nine bottle of red diamond merlot, uh, Washington State wine. And the first on the list is bitterness, correct? Is it full? I would say. Hold on. Wow, I'm gonna get that eight on bitterness. That's pretty it's, high. Is it? Oh, wait. It's also oh. really. It's really. Um, it's almost. Um, yeah. Hit me. Not literally. It's yeah. almost uh, chalky. Well, see, I couldn't tell if it was a mixture of this wine and that wine. Yeah. Or all right. So let me let me give it an unbiased. Yes, unbiased. Yep. Don't think about what I was saying. Hmm. Yeah. I'm thinking an eight. Eight. Really even eight five, because it's pretty. And I would call this about a medium. It's not crazy dark. Um 
We're not contacting mediums. This is not a seance. This is just one. Release the seance. No. <laughs> um, sweetness. Let's see. It's got a high sweetness. I'd say about five or six. For goodness, though, wow. It's dry. I'm going to go with a five point five on sweet. <clears throat> yeah, it's uh, it's dry. The sourness very, is very, very dry. It's very sour too. Yeah, which is funny. It's very high on all these flavors. I don't want to know how they did that actually. The tartness lingers for sure. Woo! Yeah, yeah, boy. Um, what's your number on tartness? Tartness. Honestly, like a six. That's yeah. I'd say six, six three, something like that. Huh. Um, huh. um, oh, this um, is just, yeah. What's, what's your rate? rate? <laughs> the stew rate is about a, <coughs> hold on just a second, let me get a fresh opinion. A 2.3. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I wasn't, I was at two, so I wasn't. Ooh, that's hard to drink. I will admit it's not the worst thing I've ever had in the world because it's greater than a one. Or a no, I'd, I'd like to know where we rated that other one that we didn't like. Yeah, but that is that that flavor lingers, man. It's funny Ooh. we both rated it lower than the mace, the Masan Foley. Oh yeah? yeah, we said three on that. You said three, I said two point five. Yeah, you said two point three and two for me. Wow, you got to have a very Specific palette to enjoy this wine. So hold on, uh, Brig. Mentally spin the wheel of accent. The accent wheel. Anything out there? Pirate, Scottish, Irish, British, British toff. Roman. Huh? Roman. Roman. You told me to just spin the wheel. Roman. Do you even know what that accent's like? I mean. I'm gonna no, no. I mean, how do you do a Roman? Accent? I don't know. I, you just said anything out there. Okay, I, I literally did anything okay. out there. Roman, then. All right. So this is going do, to be. Do we need to listen to Roman first? No, no. <laughs> uh, whenever you watch a movie about Romans, they always speak almost in prose. It's with ish a British accent because they used to British actors, <laughs> um, and uh, it doesn't even have a hint of actual like Mediterranean. <laughs> Just you know, prosy British. <laughs> what Roman? What's wrong with you? There's a lot wrong with me. Red Diamond has always been an outlet for winemaking exploration. Our team of winemakers aim to take any grape varietal and showcase its rich, fruit-forward qualities. A style that has always made Red Diamond wines approachable and exciting. This Merlot features softly spiced black cherry, berry, and plum flavors. How is that? I mean, because I could try Italian, but I'd probably make somebody mad. And Roman isn't even Italian. It's like pre-Italian. Tipralian, Pretalian, Praetorian. Um, no. I'm looking this up. 
But there you go. But I mean... Exciting. Softly spiced. Black. Cherry. So they do. It's. Berry. I mean, they speak it's Italian. Right. I mean, but it's... Well, it's more Latin. They speak it's Latin. Latin. See, it's funny because Romans and Italians are... There was a different group of people that migrated yeah. into Italy after the falls of Rome. And so the Italians that we see today, they're different. Guys, did you even know Italy is Sorry, no, I'm just listening to this guy now. Yeah. See what he has to say. Italy. And the same holds true even for Rome. The Roman dialect or accent or inflection is not extremely difficult. It's not extremely different from standard Italian compared to somewhere like in Puglia or Sardinia or even Naples where the language is truly different. But that being said, in Rome, the language is a little different. This might be frustrating if you learn Italian and then you come to Rome and you realize everyone's speaking differently. Luckily, not all people speak like this, but there are some fun, cool trends that you notice about the Roman version of Italian, and I just wanted to share them today. It's actually pretty simple once you get the hang of it, so let's get started. So this isn't really a dialect, but there are a couple slang words, the most common words, for example, die, which means like, let's go, or like, come on. It's just like an emphasized, like, excited exclamation, like, die, like, okay, let's go, die. Another common one, avolia, which means like, definitely, heck yeah, hell yeah. Avolia, do you like that? Psh, avolia, like yes, I really like that. So like, a hundred percent confirmation. Avolia. Last one. <laughs> so is it a different set of Italians too? You moved into Rome after Rome. Hey, yeah. a Roman could just be like, oh. Yeah. So Romans tend to be a little bit more aggressive. Well, I would explain the different dialect. Like American people before them. Yeah, they're a little bit more. It's interesting. Huh. Well, I learned a lot. Yeah, I mean, I've had to Don't, do some more uh, research, research before I was like, history 101. I know, right? But I'm pretty darn sure if y'all want to fact check me on that, go for it and let us know on Facebook. We'll uh, be right back. I'm going to take a quick break. We're back. Yes, indeed. I beat you to that one. I was like, I already did the clicky click thing. I noticed that. You didn't even tell me. I was just like, so we should probably start. Oh, we're trying. Okay. How are you guys? <laughs> how, how is everybody today? <laughs> so. Um, Wine was amazing. Don't use chemicals to clean your house or you'll sound like me. That was like one of those sad smoker commercials. Yeah. Don't smoke cigarettes or you'll look just like me. They're not cool. I'm over here going, Pfft. Don't clean your house with chemicals. It's bad for you. You're going to end up sounding like this. You don't want to sound like this, do you, kids? No. Okay, then don't do that. <laughs> uh, when you suggest it, understand you made a fatal error against yourself. You shot the torpedo toward you. That's right. That's all I got. Yeah. That was my lesson for the day, kids. Come back next week for uh, Mr. Rogers' cheap replacement. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, come back next week to hear Briggs say, children, don't smoke cigarettes. <laughs> yeah. Don't uh, smoke cigarettes. Mind your mama. Especially your grandma and your daddy. And clean your room. Hmm. And everyone else's room. No, I'm just kidding. That may, be, that may go a little far. Yeah. Um, so who are we talking well, at least keep the living room clean. So who are we You're going to keep about? your room. Oh, I thought, I thought you were going to reiterate that comment for no, me. I'm sorry. No. 
Well, you were talking about me until you ruined it. Okay, fine. Yeah, I ruined it. I figured we talked about some lesser human individuals. <clears throat> Somebody who really didn't do that much in history. Um, it's kind of a... Um, well, 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 hold on, hold on, because he was considered too poor at one point to actually get a uh, scholarship. Hold on, hold on. Wow, okay. Yeah, he was considered a peasant child. Well, he didn't really do anything that was known. Oh, here it is, here it is, here it is, here it is. Hold on, hold on. What? He was, uh, the records describe him as a habendo, which means that who was ineligible for financial aid and indirect uh, testimonial to the success of his father. So because his father was successful and he was not, and he be, you know became poor, he was not allowed to uh, get financial aid to go to school. Uh, oh, I see. Interesting. Well, ladies and gentlemen, we're talking about Martin, Martin Luther, Luther uh, the reformer who was born in... What was it? 1483. 1483. Yeah, 14. 1483. You just made him older. I, the first time you said 1513. Yeah. No, yeah. 1507 is what you yeah. said. 1507. I did say 1507. <coughs> but yeah, she was born in 1483, which is... Died in 1546 at the grand old age of... Sixty-two years 16. young, boys. Old. Oh, no, young. So, which, I mean, back then, I guess that was a decent age to be to. My dad's older than that now. Yeah. You know. Which, it's funny that we, we say that because, like, you had people that, you know, started the Bible were 900 years old. And then was we, a thing. Then we went all the way to 62 years old is old. Mm -hmm. And now we're like, well, if you make it to 90 year old. Um, I just like to see how that comes full circle and makes no sense. So, uh, we're talking about Martin Luther to as a uh, a precursor to Next talking week. about the Reformation. So, uh, for those of y'all who don't know, October thirty first is indeed Halloween, but its original name was All Saints Day, and it was a celebration to commemorate the saints of the church. Right. Now, on October 31st, something else important happened in 1517. In the church. On the church. <laughs> yeah, at the uh, church. Um, Martin Luther nailed his 95 theses to the door of the Wittenberg Church. That's in Germany, where Martin Luther is from. This was... Uh... I'm sure hard to explain. Yeah, so you got to think the church doors were kind of a hallowed thing. You know, they were. I don't know. The way they describe it is it being more of a crime that he nailed them to the door oh, than maybe. than that he actually wrote them, which is what most people give him, like in the Catholic religion, give him a hard time for. Yeah. But if you like read records of like people who have talked about it, it's like it was Put more of it was more of an offense that they he nailed something there to the church. In this Why did you put it there? Well, I had some. We don't care about your theological issues. We want to know why you put the hole in that door. That's pretty much yeah. That's exactly <laughs> every one of these accounts was that was basically like they were mad more for the holes in their door than they were about what he had to write. 
even so, though they hated what he had to write. What are the 95 Theses? So basically, uh, Martin Luther was a Catholic, just like everybody else in Germany at the time. And that was really the... That was the Church of, of Germany, was the Catholic Church. You know, other than that, you were following, you know, the Norse religion if you were an outcast, really. I guess so, yeah. Yeah, a lot of the... Well, it was halfway Germanic, so you had yeah. parts of the German area that still worshipped false gods. And so, anyway, um, the Catholic Church was doing a lot of things during this time. Not so good things, Not you. so good things that Martin Luther finally had enough of. Who was Martin Luther? I love the burning the Christmas tree because they tried to put a Christmas tree in there. <laughs> That's one of my favorite stories. So Martin Luther was a monk. And uh, we'll read a little bit about him. Um, actually, probably a lot about him. Yeah, I've got two or three things pulled today up here. Today is kind of dedicated to Martin Luther. Now, And it'll help for next week because we're going to have a guest on. It'll... What he did was he started the Protestant Reformation. When we say the word reformation, what we mean is that the church is one way, and he reformed it, and it became another way. And he didn't necessarily go out seeking to change everything, change everything, but that was just a natural consequence of what he did. Um, and the Catholic Church was making, uh, was doing a lot of things, like I said, that Martin it was apostasy with, and. You know, he could defend these disagreements with the Bible. Uh, but that being said, the biggest of them was the selling of indulgences. Now, for those of you who do not know, <clears throat> what an indulgence is, is basically buying your way, quote unquote, buying your way into heaven. So... Um, and I'd be broke all the time. Yeah, I know, right? Um, and so basically, if you bought an, if you bought an indulgence... What it does is it gives you less time in purgatory. So you're a Christian. Let's say you're a Christian. All right. Um, you're a Christian and you know how much and often you sin. Well, the Catholic Church, as far as I understand, they still believe this, but I'm not, don't quote me on that because I'm not a Catholic. <laughs> we would love to get one of our Catholic friends on here sometime. Yeah. Just because, you know. Which I have a total of one. Uh, I do not believe that you know I'm, I'm a protestant right catholics and protestants had their spout a long time ago um had their fight but here actually yeah yeah here actually yeah and not not here in black mountain north carolina i mean in Asheville, north carolina but in, you know wittenberg germany uh in 1517 um that's but, where you got the 1507 from that's hilarious no no there was an earlier date that um Martin Luther did. You throw out that 07, I was like, son, he was like yeah, literally almost 18. Well, he was. You do realize that I said that and was like, it's probably not right. I was just throwing numbers. You didn't, but I was, what's bad is I was like, wait, he was. He was 19 years old when he was born, or, you know, he'd yeah, been yeah, 26. Yeah. Really. That would mean that he would have been about 10 years old when he held the pieces from the Yeah. Nah. I, good ten. I mean, Jesus. I mean, twelve. Yeah. I, I just threw a number out there. And ran I know, I know, but you, you can't help me giving you a hard time. That's yeah, that's absolutely. half my job. Uh, but the Catholic Church believes that when you die, if you're a Christian, when you die, you don't go straight to heaven. You go into purgatory. Purgatory is kind of halfway in between 
know, it's like that deciding earth factor. And heaven. Now, if the the more sins you rack up in your life, and the the less good works that you do in your life, the more time that you rack up in purgatory. And so, in order to shorten your time in purgatory, what you do is you would buy indulgences. Mm -hmm. And so the Catholic Church was like, hey, you don't want to spend time in purgatory, do you? No, well, no, you no. Just you want to go pay a saint Man, and you go straight to heaven. Cashola will give you an indulgence and you will you will get a thousand years off of your time in purgatory. You know, or to pay enough, maybe a million years off of your I'm time. I'm pretty in sure never did God say that was a good idea. I'm pretty sure that that's you know, God never even said that was an idea. <laughs> well, Jesus brings it up. Yeah. You know, about you know, the the idea of works. And doing things for the church, he does bring that up. Oh, he does bring that up. And so it's the same thing as an indulgence. It's not for really. salvation, though. Yeah, no. That's... Um, you know, he says do that, that one sin that you you he know says, do works for the church. Um, you know, so that your your rich your reward in heaven will be all the greater, and also to. Um, to well, I, I said Jesus really was Paul. It was Paul. Your, I'm thinking about Romans. Yeah, to show the fruits of being a Christian. Yeah, no, no, for sure. Uh, but anyway, so uh, the Catholic Church was selling indulgences, and people were literally <laughs> that word says it all going poor, going broke, buying their way to heaven, buying their way to heaven. So they thought, and that was probably the biggest thing. There's a there's a couple of other issues. Uh, that Martin Luther had, but that was probably the biggest thing that Martin Luther had against the Catholic Church. And again, he wasn't like, you know, I'm not Catholic anymore. I'm leaving. There was nothing to leave to. Yeah. Okay? All he was doing was making was a point. Making a point and saying, these are things that the church needs to fix. Okay. These are things that are wrong. And he had 95 of them. And uh, do you have a list of the 95? I'm pieces? pulling it up as we talk. Wonderful. Because I already um, had it prepped. But since we introduced the subject, I just wanted to give you a quick little rundown of Martin Luther. Let's come to the indulgences in a little bit. Let's talk about who Martin Luther is and a little bit about his background. So this is from history.com. It's got the History Channel logo on it, so, you know, take it for what you will. I mean, I'm not a big fan of the History Channel. They're mostly just an entertainment channel. Maybe they get some things right. Um, but let's read some of this and see what they've got. So, born in Eisleben, Germany, in 1483, Martin Luther went on to become one of Western history's most significant figures. Luther spent his early years in relative anonymity as a monk and scholar. In 1517, Luther penned a document attacking the Catholic Church's corrupt practice of selling indulgences to absolve sin. His 95 Theses, which propounded two central beliefs, that the Bible is the central religious authority, and that humans may reach salvation only by their faith and not by their deeds, was to spark the Protestant Reformation, like we said earlier. Although, the, although these ideas had been advanced before, Martin Luther <laughs> codified them at a moment in uh, history ripe for religious reformation. The Catholic Church was ever after uh, was ever after divided, and the Protestantian, Protestantian, Protestantism that soon emerged was shaped by uh, Luther's ideas. His writings changed the course in 
religious and culture, cultural history in the West. English. Okay, so uh, early life. Martin Luther, uh, 1483 to 1546, was born in Eisleben, Saxony, now Germany, part of the Holy Roman Empire. To parents Hans and Margaret Hans, I love it. Luther. Luther's father was a prosperous businessman, and when Luther was young, his father moved the family of ten. Wow. Well, these so, are also good. I forgot how. Good I'm guessing that Luther had seven siblings then. Uh, to Mansfeld, at age five, Luther began uh, began his education at a local school where he learned reading, writing, and Latin. At 13, Luther began to attend a school run by the Brethren of the Common Life of Magdeburg. The Brethren's teachings focused on personal piety, and while there, and while there Luther developed an early interest in monastic life. Um, so this is an interesting thing for Martin Luther that we'll get, get into in a little bit. Um, Martin Luther was kind of a big, is a big name, right, for theology, but he was not always supposed to be, I mean, he was always supposed to be a theologian, if you think about it from mm -hmm. an eternal aspect, but uh, originally he was supposed to be a lawyer. Hans, let's see, uh, let's see, Hans Luther had other plans for young Martin. He wanted him to become a lawyer. So he withdrew him from the school in Magdeburg and sent him to new school in, in Eisenach. Then in 1501, Luther enrolled at the University of Erfurt, the premier university in Germany at the time. There he studied the typical curriculum of the day, arithmetic, astronomy, ge geometry, and philosophy, and he attained a master's degree from the school in 1505. In July of that year, Luther got taught in a got caught in a violent thunderstorm in which a bolt of lightning nearly struck him down. He considered the incident a sign from God and vowed to become a monk if he survived the storm. The storm subsided, Luther emerged unscathed. And true to his promise, Luther turned his back on his study of the law days later on July 17, 1505. Instead, he entered an Augustinian monastery. Talk that's about a all, Gideon thing. Yeah, that's all very true. This is, you know, Luther um, was going to be a lawyer who was studying law school, got his master's, and, you know, he was going to be a big, important German lawyer, right? And honestly, man, with his education and, you know, with just his, you know, his family background, his father's financial backing, Luther could have been an incredibly wealthy man. Oh, yeah. You know, incredibly wealthy man. Uh, but he did love God. And after he was caught in this thunderstorm, he indeed cried out for God's help and said, hey, God, if you, if you save me from this storm, if you'll keep me alive, I will become a monk. You know, I will serve you in a monastery or something. To the point where he translated the whole Bible into German, just saying. Wow, yeah. Can and you so imagine like, doing that? There's still scholars the that have subsided, And what did Martin Luther do? He stuck to his promise, which, mind you... Covenant? Uh, question mark? Well, what I was going to say is... 
Because he made a... This is a promise to God. And most people would consider promises to God to be promises to oneself today. You know, if you make a promise to God, God, I promise to do this, that, or the other. You know, a Christian would hold you accountable for that promise. But anybody else would just be like, you know, I don't know who you're praying to or whatever, but I'm pretty sure God wouldn't mind if you did something else, you know, if you felt led to, right? Um, and so Martin Luther was not held accountable by anybody other than himself and God. And he was very strongly convicted. And he, he kept his promise. I mean, he could have very easily, you know, survived the storm, gone on and just became a lawyer and just forgot about his promise to God. Right. Right. But when he made that promise, he kept it. Because, like I said, only Martin Luther and God knew about his promise. Right. That's it. You know, if he had told his dad or something about that, and his dad probably would have said, okay, well, son, you better go do that then. But, um, or, or good luck. Yeah, we're good. <laughs> um, but Martin kept his promise to God and went through with it. And God did marvelous things through Martin Luther. Now, let's move on here a little bit. Um, let's see. Luther began to live the Spartan and rigorous life of a monk, but did not abandon his studies. Between 1507 and 1510, that's where I got 1507 from, Luther studied at the University of Erfurt and at a university in Wittenberg. In 1510-11, to 11, he took a break from his education to serve as a representative in Rome for the German Augustinian monasteries. In 1512, Luther received a doctorate and became a professor of biblical, biblical studies. Over the next five years, Luther's continuing theological studies would lead him to, insight, uh, to insights that would have implications for Christian thought for centuries to come. Okay. Um, so, let's see. Martin Luther, questions the Catholic Church. Yeah. We're going to go ahead and uh, we'll go ahead and take a break there. That's a really good intro to Martin Luther. It really is. Life. Um, uh, you know, wealthy family. His dad was not a poor man. Uh, very well educated, and um, on his road through a storm, he promised to God that he would become a monk, and God did spare him. The storm subsided, and Martin held to that promise. And that's a good there. lesson for all of us. Amen to that. I'm going to take and so from there, he, you know, became a monk and studied in Wittenberg. Held his uh, end. For a couple of years, yeah. And so now he is uh, continuing theological studies. Oh, currently? Currently, yes, yes. Uh, but anyway, he's representative in Rome for the German Augustinian monasteries in 1512. And so 1512... Is about where we're leaving right now. So anyway, we'll be right back with more about Martin Luther. And we're, we're back. back. Okay. So where did we leave our hero Martin Luther? Mind you, <coughs> what does Martin mean? Ooh. Can, Can we already look this up? Quick? I wonder what. I don't think that we have looked this up, but. 
It means good things. And I know what it means, but I want to see what it says on the computer. It means internet. A different source other than me. Maybe I should look it up again. Oh. <laughs> Good. Uh oh. Well, so maybe I need to. <laughs> Same thing. So it comes from the Latin name Martinus. Okay. Or Martinus. Martinus. That's probably what it was. Which is the late derived, which is the late derived form of the name. For the Roman god of Mars. Exactly. And that comes... Hold on, I'm getting there. Okay, okay. That part wasn't good, which is what I got the first time. Okay. It just said that, and I was like, nothing hmm. nothing wrong with that. Our monster named after me. True, but I'm going, hmm. okay. But the protective godhead of the Latins, and therefore the god of war. The god of war, yeah. The meaning usually rendered in the reference to the god of Mars, or war or warlike marshal which is where we get our term marshal from exactly so the name martin comes from warlike or war which if you've ever studied like the greek gods and everything which my sister has whenever i'm studying something and i have a question uh-huh. i call mariah because in the way that i have you know studied and learned like the norse religion mm-hmm. she is the exact same way for the Greek oh, mythology. The Greek pantheon. So if I have a question for her, which the Roman god Mars falls in that pantheon. Right. I'll yeah. call her and say, hey, explain this. Yeah. I read this and I have this question. And she goes, okay, so this is what happened. You know, and, I, and she'll drag it out in a very long, good story. And I'm like, I now understand. I, yeah. I'm going to continue my reading. Yeah. And so I think that warlike, Martin had a very warlike spirit for God. Okay, Martin Luther questions the Catholic Church. In early 16th century... And I had those pulled up, by the way. Oh, did you? Whenever you're ready, because it's 95 of them. Oh, very good. Uh, Some theologians and scholars were beginning to question the teachings of the Roman Catholic Church. (laughs) It was around this time that translations of original texts, namely the Bible and the writings of the early church philosopher Augustine, became more widely available. I say Augustine. It's also generally pronounced Augustine. Mm-hmm. Uh, Augustine, 340 to 430, had emphasized the, pri- the primacy of the Bible rather than church officials as the ultimate religious authority. He also believes that humans could not reach salvation by their own acts, but that only God could bestow salvation by his divine grace. In the Middle Ages, the Catholic Church taught that salvation was possible through good works or works of righteousness that please God. Luther came to share August, Augustine's, I'm going to always pronounce that funny, Augustine's two central beliefs, which would later form... Well, it follows our English language way we would have it said. Yeah. Meanwhile, the Catholic Church's practice of granting indulgences, we talked about that before, to provide absolution to sinners became increasingly corrupt. <clears throat> Indulgence selling had been banned in Germany but the practice continued unabated. In 1517, a friar named Johann Tetzel began to sell indulgences in Germany to raise funds to remove St. Peter's Basilica in Rome. Uh, to, pardon, to renovate, not remove, renovate 
St. Peter's Basilica in Rome. Okay, committed to the idea that salvation could be reached through faith and by divine grace only, later uh, Luther vigorously objected to the corrupt practice of selling indulgences. Acting on this belief, he wrote the Disputation on the Power and Efficacy of Indulgences, also known as the 95 Theses, a list of questions and propositions for debate. Popular legend has it that on October 31st, 1517, Luther defiantly nailed a copy of his 95 Theses to the door of the Wittenberg Castle Church. The reality was probably not so dramatic. Uh, Luther more likely hung the document on the door of the church matter-of-factly to announce the ensuing academic discussion around it that he was organizing. That's boring, and I reject that. I think he nailed it on there. That no, was the uh, biggest hammer. A lot he of people do. That nail into that door. If you listen to a lot of people that write about it, uh-huh. they honestly believe that that's what happened. Yeah, and it, honestly, it doesn't really matter. It doesn't, but it's funny. It could have been a thumbtack, <laughs> and he had like a little rubber mallet that he was going... doesn't matter how light those hammer planks were they were monumental and resounding over the course of history mm-hmm. you know uh because even if they were just you know oh he just nonchalantly you know hung the 95 pieces up there uh as you can see now uh those were theological pounds uh with a big theological hammer on that big wittenberg door so interesting so now that's the 95 theses we just talked about uh brig has all 95 of them pulled up and now mind you it's just like it said um uh, let's go back and read a list of questions and propositions for debate that's pretty much what it is now i'll be honest i have not read all 95 theses <coughs> well we're today. about to are we going to read all 95 of them? I mean, why not? Ladies and gentlemen, prepare, prepare for the 95 Theses. All right. Read it. Read on. Right. Let's see. Here. There are indeed 95 of them, by the way. There are, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and they're, they're full sentences. They're not, they're not, they're not. Fortunately, they're not like paragraphs. No, but they are good. They're points. So, number one, when our Lord and Master Jesus Christ said, repent. Matthew 4, 17. He willed the entire life of believers to be one of repentance. Mm-hmm. I can agree with that. As if I'm going to disagree with one of them. <laughs> this word, this, yeah, this, number two. This word cannot be understood as referring to the sacrament of penance. Or penance. Penance. That is confession and sanctification or satisfaction as administered by the clergy. So discipline, essentially. Yeah. You're being scolded. Yeah. <clears throat> Number three. Yet it does not mean solely inner repentance. Such inner repentance is worthless unless it provides various outward modifications of flesh. In other words, if you don't live it out, you can say whatever you want. It doesn't matter. That's really we can you can tell yourself a lie a million times. Eventually, you'll believe it kind of thing. Yeah. But it doesn't make it true or any more true. Yeah. Number four, the penalty of sin remains as long as the hatred of self 
that is true inner repentance, namely till our entrance into the kingdom of heaven. He is literally saying, you repent from the time you wake up in the morning till you die. And you know, Martin Luther was an excellent example of that too. He's not just <coughs> saying that that we should do that and then not follow. No, that's it. how he lived his life. He spoke. He he talked the talk, and boy, did he walk the walk. Uh, we've talked about before. You know, while he was still a monk, um, he uh, would go to confessional and would confess to just little things like, you know, thinking bad thoughts about that guy that was tapping his pencil on the counter, or um, you know, woke up. Um, and you know, five minutes late, and was um, in uh, was in church. You know, five minutes later than he should have been. You know, just just little itty bitty sins that most people were like, dude, really? Does that even count? And it's it got, a sin. He got to the point where, you know, uh, one of the one of the priests that was listening to his confession was like. Be gone, go, leave, and don't come back until you have something real to confess. Right. And, you know, Martin Luther knew, he knew, he understood that a sin is any want of conformity unto a transgression of the law of God. It's anything that you do that is, you know, against God, anything that's even slightly against God, anything that... Um, Jesus you know, himself wouldn't have done. Right, right. You know, um, I actually, the first time that I heard this was from Jordan Peterson, so thank God for Jordan Peterson. But he says that the word sin, um, forget exactly where it comes from. Which we should, we should preface. We talked about him before. He's not a believer. No, he's not. But he says that the Wait. word sin comes from, I want to say a Latin word, uh, that basically means um, to miss your mark. And so if you think about a target, and I'm pulling, drawing my bowstring back, and I'm releasing my arrow, thwack, I hit a 9 instead of the 10, okay? I just missed my mark, because I was aiming at 10, okay? And so when we sin, if you think about it, that's missing <coughs> God's mark. God has his perfect law, right? And when we sin, we are not, we're not hitting that mark. We're missing it. We're not following his law. And so it doesn't matter how off you are. You'll never be perfectly on center on that mark. And so you're always, in a sense, sinning. And so Martin understood that. And so anytime he had even the slightest sin, uh, committed the slightest sin, you know, like, um, I don't know, somebody drops a piece of ice and he picks it up and crunches on it and eats it. You know, not that they had ice back then. But um, that was somebody else's eyes. So he just stole somebody else's property. He's like, ah, I just sinned. I need to confess that, right? Any imperfection is, uh, you know, requires uh, perfect justice from God, which is hell and damnation. Right. Martin understood this. And so that's why, you know, he thought that obviously the more that he sinned, the more time he would spend in purgatory, the less chance he would have into heaven. And to get into heaven. And so he took this matter very, very seriously. Continue. Yeah, absolutely. Sorry. Now you're good. Number five, the Pope neither desires nor is able to remit any penalties except those imposed by him on his own authority as that of the canons. Mm. 
that is a statement. Talk about confession. Yeah. The Pope cannot remit, this is number six, the Pope cannot remit any guilt except by declaring and showing that it has been remitted by God or to be sure by remitting guilt in case of reserved to his judgment. If he has the right to grant remission in these cases, were in these cases or disregarded, the guilt would certainly remain unforgiven. So that essentially says the Pope can't forgive you of anything other than something he has set as law. Right. Yeah. And so I think what you'll come to the conclusion of later is that the Pope can't set anything into law because it's not the Bible does that. Right. Law of God. Number seven. God remits guilt to no one unless the same time he humbles himself in all things and makes him submissive to the vicar, the priest. Interesting. Number eight. The I actually don't know what this word means. The pen penteal. Penitential? The pen, yeah, penitential. That's it probably is. how. Yeah. See, I've done that now twice today. <laughs> Try to sound out these words. It's like that's not that's not the word. It's so funny because I'm not even. I would never consider myself like that good at grammar or anything like that. But <coughs> my coworker does this. He'll try to say something, and I'll finish the word for him. He's like, "That's the one," you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, the penitential canons are imposed one only the living, and according to the canons themselves, nothing should be imposed. On the dying. Exactly. So here's something that was different. So the Catholic Church at the time believed in a lot of things like once somebody died, if they died in sin, if they died sinning, then obviously they wouldn't be going to heaven. And uh, because think about it, if somebody died in sin, they wouldn't have had a chance to ask forgiveness for that sin, would they? Mm -mm. And if they didn't do that, then my goodness, you know, then he's going straight to hell. In fact, uh, if somebody committed suicide, the Catholic Church would bury them not in a Christian graveyard. They had Christian graveyards and they had non-Christian graveyards, and they would not be buried in a Christian graveyard or a churchyard if somebody, you know, committed suicide because obviously... <laughs> They didn't have a chance to ask forgiveness for that sin. Right. Um, and so that's something that Calvin uh, disagreed with. And that one another thing that they would do is, you know, they would send petitions to God towards somebody who died. They would uh, make declarations of they're going to be, you know, basically make declarations against people who have already died, you know, giving them more time in purgatory or something, or taking off time in purgatory or something. If somebody died... You could buy an indulgence for them so that they would spend less time in purgatory, right? They were already they're already dead, right? And so Martin Luther is simply saying, Hey, he can't do that. Right. When somebody's dead, they're dead. They're in God's hands now. We can't do anything to them. And or for them. Or or for them. And moreover, um, you know, if somebody was a Christian but died in sin, he understood. You know, Martin Luther understood that, you know, um, this was just like any other sin that we commit. It, it's a it's an apartness from God. And, um, you know, if we are a Christian and uh, do love God, 
then even a, a sin that kills us is not too great for Jesus to take away. Right. Right. And so, you know, it's all part of the sanctif sanctification deal once you become a Christian. Um, and so uh, there's going to be a lot of talk here in the next couple of theses about the dead. Yes. And Martin Luther is <laughs> bringing up several points about the way he's, the Catholic Church is prefacing it for it. Yeah. You know, number nine. Therefore, the Holy Spirit through the Pope is kind to us insofar as the Pope in his decrees always makes exception of the article of death and necessity. Number 10. Those priests act ignorantly and wickedly who, in the case of the dying, reserve canonical penalties for purgatory. Number 10. That's number 10. Number 11. Those tares... Of changing can canonically can canonical is that canonical canonical yeah see you did it again canonical penalty to the penalty of purgatory which were evidently sown while the bishop slept huh yeah. Matthew ten twenty five or thirteen twenty five look that up yeah to Matthew thirteen twenty five. <coughs> Uh -huh, 25 25 uh, I'll start at 24 another parable he put forth to them saying the kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field but while men slept his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went his way uh, but when the grain had sprouted and produced a crop then the tares also appeared and that's 24 through 27 and that's what he's calling the bishops here his oh, tares wow. yeah because he said those tears of changing canon say it canonical 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 penalty to the penalty of purgatory were inevitably sown while the bishop slept. Mm. <laughs> so he's essentially <laughs> in a roundabout way calling them tears. Yeah. That's rough. Ouch. How'd you like to have that hanged on your door? Not okay. uh, hung. In the former <laughs> hung it. In the former, this is number 12, in the former times of the canonical penalties were imposed, not after, before the absolution as tests of two, true contrition. Did I say that one right? Mm -hmm. Okay, just I was waiting for a... Yeah, yeah, contrition. Number 12, in the former times, canonical penalties were, no, that's number 12. Uh, number 13, the dying are freed by death from all penalties, are already dead as far as the canon laws are concerned and have a right to be released from them. Yeah. Exactly what you were saying. Yeah. Number 14. Imperfect piety or love on the part of a dying person necessarily brings with it great fear. And the similar or the and the smaller the love, the greater is fear. <laughs> um just to uh, clarify, canonical is not a word that we use very often. But it's of or relating to uh, or forming a canon, canonical scriptures, conforming to a general rule or acceptable procedure, orthodox, um, or, uh, uh, let's see, uh, his orthodox proposals were generally accepted as canonical, of or relating to a clergyman who is a canon, um, let's see, connected with or allowed by laws of the Christian church. So canonical are just... Canonical laws are laws that are, it's a general rule, uh, acceptable orthodox procedures, you know, 
Christians that have been doing it for a while. Like excommunication would be a, a right. Law. You know. All right. So let's see. Do, do, do. Number 15. The fear or horror is sufficient in itself to say nothing other nothing of other things to constitute the penalty of purgatory since it is all very near to the horror of despair. Mm. Ouch. We're getting deep here. He's not like cutting corners. 16. Oof. Hell, purgatory, and heaven seem to differ from the same as despair, fear, and assurance of salvation. Hmm. Kind of figure out what he means by that. He's saying, I think, if, if you ask me, because he, he prefaces horror and fear as different from love. Right. And then he uses horror, fear, and love in the next one. And then he says, hell, purgatory, and heaven. Mm -hmm. Despair, fear, and love seem to differ as despair and fear, denouncing love gotcha. for the salvation of Christ. That's what he's saying. Because he gives you definitions, and then he's like, these three things, mm -hmm. assuming you've read the first, the, the, the preface to that, or preface. Um, I think that's what he's saying. Do Am I right? I don't know. I don't know. But that's what I gathered from that, is he's saying despair, fear, and, and love. Okay. Which heaven represents the love of Christ. Purgatory is keeping people in fear of the church. And hell is despair and damnation. Okay. So he's he's looking at those three as he's giving them different names now that you know what he's talking about. The right. three points. Now here are the three points in writing. I could be wrong. I don't know. <coughs> Number seventeen. It's I haven't coughed a whole lot. I'm just saying that. I I'm, I feel like I'm. You should read. You should read. Keep reading. Read the ninety-five theses whenever you cough, folks. That's right. It seems though, and now I'm gonna start coughing. <laughs> It seems as though for the souls in purgatory, fear should necessarily decrease the love. Wow. It's almost like what I was saying is starting to come true. Yeah. Furthermore, this is number 18. Furthermore, it does not seem proved either by reason or scripture that souls in purgatory are outside of the state of merit and that is unable to grow in love. Hmm. hmm. It's kind of like one of those perfect love cast away all fears. Yeah. <clears throat> That's kind of what he's sideways getting at. Very left-handed. Nor does it seem proved. Oh, no, that's, that's number. Hold on. Oh, no, this is he started the same way. Nor does it seem proved that the souls in purgatory, at least all of them, are certain and assured of their own salvation, even if we ourselves may be entirely certain of it. So he's basically saying, you know, once you're in heaven, if you are in purgatory, you know, you might not know whether you're saved or not, but what, how does that sentence finish? Um, do, do, do. They're not certain of their own salvation, even if we ourselves outside may be entirely certain of it. He's just saying, you know, whether somebody is saved or not, we don't really know. And John says that, or James, in one of his books that... You know, that's between him and God right. that you should know your salvation. So 20, therefore the Pope, when he uses words in 
plenary remission of all penalties does not actually mean all penalties, but only those imposed by himself. In other words, he can't forgive you. Only God can forgive you. That needs to be something very much noted. And we're going to take a break right here and continue in just a moment. We are back. See, I can, I can do that like rubble. Yeah, it's really gritty. <laughs> it's not. It's, it, I don't like it. Yeah. Just just so everyone's aware, this is this is not how I want to talk. But things things are actually like starting to move around and get fixed. Yeah. You uh, you never never enjoy getting like allergy attacks, and it's only in the way I get it with like my bronchial tubes. It's like straight up almost asthmatic. Yeah. Which is funny because like Dakota and the other kids, they've been having little minor asthma issues since the stuff too. So. It's not like it's just me, yeah. you know? So number 20 is there for the Pope when he uses were, uh, we, we read that one. So <coughs> uh, we're on 21. Mm-hmm. Uh, 21 is thus those indulgences or those, those, blah, blah, blah. we're going to start over. No. Number 21, thus those indulge preachers are in error who say that is a man absolved from every penalty and saved by the papal indulgences. <laughs> you're just now you're just enjoying it. Yeah, I am actually. I like that though. Papal. Papal. The papal. It even sounds better with the voice I'm like. The papal. It is papal. John the papal. <laughs> he was second to none. You know. He was. Very. I have like this uh, very radio yeah, voice you said, now. You have that kind of cigarette like, smoking radio yeah. voice. It's like, thank you for listening to WQYL. We are here today to talk about the 95 Theses. The big 95. Martin Luther is your man. Listen next. Honestly, you have kind of a John Wayne sound to you. Well, Pilgrim. Yeah, see? Dog. Yeah, now you're just you're just now you're just playing with me. And I am, yeah. That's true. And now my, the the John Wayne's gonna start coming out, like you know, this fill is. your hands. <laughs> yeah. I better stop there. Yeah. So this is actually we're gonna break for story time with Brig. Um, I my grandfather was the, uh, well, he was the John Wayne addict till I came along. Mm-hmm. And then he filled my head with John Wayne. And after that, it was like, I am John Wayne, <laughs> you know, to the point where there was one guy at dad's work, the dealership we worked at. Uh, he knew I liked John Wayne and he knew he was an antagonizer. And to this day, I love that man. He's hilarious and, and uh, still reminds me. And it's even fantastic, more fantastic now than it was when I was a kid. Everybody but me enjoyed it when I was a kid, but he used to, Whenever I'd walk in, I'd run in with my boots, my stick horse or whatever. And he'd be like, there's Mrs. John Wayne. <laughs> you know, totally. I'd just be furious. I'm not Mrs. John Wayne. I'm John Wayne himself, you know. <clears throat> but my, uh, both my mom's brothers, my uncles and my dad were up on the roof when I was <clears throat> seven. I was probably Lyle's age, honestly. So, yeah, seven. And uh, you got to think they're they're trying to focus 
putting on a tin roof, which is not anybody in the roofing world would probably say they'd rather put shingles up, mm-hmm. you know, cause tin roofs can be dangerous. You fall off, something falls on top, you're losing a leg, you know? <laughs> and so I had just watched. And by the way, after, after this, I didn't get to watch John Wayne for a long time. There were, <laughs> there were a few years until I got a little older and realized this wasn't a hundred percent. Okay. With me. Little seven-year-old me puts on a, a little bandana around my eye, you know, I'm, I'm hundred percent rooster Cogburn and, uh, got my little stick horse and, uh, grab mom and dad had gotten me this little gun. It was a, it was a mimic of a Winchester rifle like mm-hmm. they had then. Yeah. And so I run around the house. I'm, I'm doing several laps around the house with my legs on the stick horse. And uh, I make one pass and I, throw the gun up in the air thinking I'm twisting it, you know, catch it, run around. And I'm like, fill your hands, you know, X, Y, and Z. If you know the line, go look it up. I'm not going to, I'm not going to say it here. And my uncle, my mom's youngest brother about fell off the roof. <laughs> he, he just, he caught my other uncle actually kind of caught him and was like, Whoa, you know, he said, he looked at my mom down there and he said, what did he just say? And mom was like, already mortified he didn't he didn't it's like i'll deal with him and dad if i remember correctly was just like trying to hide his humor right he was he was laughing so hard he was like he was over here just like that's my boy you know i i can just see it but i never heard that from dad but i vaguely remember hearing dad laugh and then like try to hide it up there like i wasn't laughing i'm still hammering you know whatever but anyway, <coughs> back to the 95 theses. We're on 22. <coughs> As a matter of the fact, the Pope remits souls into purgatory, no penalty, which according to the canon law, they should have paid in this life. So basically, that's not his to give. Yeah. You know, these are things that should have been part of repentance and paid by christ in his life that's essentially what he's going with which is not a bad way to look at it 23 the remission of the penalties whatsoever be granted by anyone at all certainly it would be granted by only to the most perfect that is to very few i think one is uh one is definitely very few So what we'll probably do is we're going to take a break right here. What we'll probably do, I think, is have a, another session with mm-hmm. the rest of the the rest of the seventy eight theses that we haven't covered yet, because um, this is really good stuff. So we'll do a we'll do a Martin Luther part two, and uh, we'll close up with some other things, and then we'll be right back. All right, we are right. back. We are back. All right, so we're not going to read all the 95 theses today, but we're going to do a part two in Martin Luther uh, on, I guess, Tuesday. a week from now. Yeah, from Tuesday. Now. Um, so, I need, like, a, I need, I need Brig to, like, have something that he says that lets me know. That you're that never going to hear again. Um, a lot. 
because I keep noticing them. Like, um, 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 um. And well, so maybe Brig needs to have like an um card that he just like holds up this big poster board that says a giant um on it. And be like, oh shoot, I'm saying that too much. But anyway, I'll, I'll just reach just, in and say, "You Texas brush popper." There you go. I like it. I like it. Yeah, your John Wayne is coming on strong now with that with that yeah. gravelly voice. Fill your hands. <laughs> So the 95 Theses, which later become the foundation of the Protestant Reformation, were written in a remarkably humble and academic tone. Questioning rather than accusing, the overall thrust of the document was nonetheless quite provocative. The first two of the Theses contained Luther's central idea that God intended believers to seek repentance, repentance and that faith alone and not deeds would lead would to not salvation. Help. Yep. The other ninety-five, the, the other ninety-three theses. Just imagine them, being raised like that, and then having to think differently. You're talking about 80, 90 year old men, right? Just think about the people that actually were able to live, you know, longer than in their sixties. Yeah. You know, the old guys of the group that were like, um, "But I've lived my entire life believing something else." Yeah. You know. Yeah. You're you're talking about nailing something to a door of a church in which they've probably been a part of for, you know, years sixty years. years. Yeah. And you're going to tell them how they ought to think. Right. That's that's where the statement, that's where the contra, the contradiction and the controversy really awakens is right there. Yeah. Is the fact that you're telling people who have raised in, in the faith like this, that from the get-go when they were first taught, you know, in our world, Sunday school, you know, they were wrong. Right. And that's, that's hard to take. It is. It's very hard to take. The other 93 theses, a number of them directly criticizing the practice of indulgences, supported these first two. In addition to its criticisms of indulgences, Luther also reflected popular sentiment about the St. Peter's scandal in the 95 theses. St. Peter's scandal. Yep. Why, uh, 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 let's see, why does not the Pope, whose wealth today is greater than the wealth of the richest Crassus, build the, build the Basilica of St. Peter with his own money, rather than with the money of poor believers. Ooh. Ouch. The 95 you know theses, that had to sting a little bit. Yeah. The 95 Theses were quickly distributed throughout Germany and then made their way to Rome. In 1518, Luther was summoned to, Aug to Augsburg, a city in southern Germany, to defend his opinions before an imperial diet or assembly. It's a German, Diet, which means assembly. Uh, a debate lasting three days between Luther and Cardinal Thomas. Uh, oh, he's name. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Produced no agreement. Cajetan defended. How would you love to live in infamacy for that? Yeah. Debating with Martin Luther. Yeah. That's that, that I, I honestly, I did not read that in everything that I looked up that right there. That is kind of the equivalent, and I'm laughingly saying this because you brought up John Wayne and uh -huh. uh, the, the Cowboys. Uh-huh. You know, that's Bruce Dern was the guy that ended up killing John Wayne in that movie. Mm -hmm. And years later, he was asked why he didn't act anymore and why his roles were always secondhand. Mm -hmm. And he said, because when you kill John Wayne, you don't get a second chance. Mm. He was like, the day I killed John Wayne and I signed up for that role, I destroyed my acting career. Yeah. And what's funny is when people say the word villain, I don't think of 
the Joker and, you know, Penguin. I think of Bruce Dern's character in the Cowboys. But that's how you live in infamy for something ridiculous. Is it really that big of a deal that he killed somebody in a movie? No. But it was enough to destroy his acting career because nobody wanted to hire him because he played that role. Even though he played the best villain you could possibly play. That's kind of like with this Cardinals living in infamy for how much more could you find about him? Like if you just searched his name, probably the first thing that you're going to find out is he was the one that had a contrary with Martin Luther. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Kajetan defended the church's use of indulgences, but Luther <laughs> refused to recant and return to Wittenberg. On November 9th, 1518, the Pope condemned Luther's writings as conflicting with the teachings of the church. One year later, a series of, yeah, that's what happens of the church, not the Bible. Mm -hmm. They're canon. That's why he speaks so strongly against the canon is because that's not the word of God. Right. You know, they've added to it. And that's the apostasy that Martin Luther said, no, we're, we're not going to, we're not going to be okay with this and just continue teaching it as if nothing's wrong with it. One year later, a series of commissions were, convent, were convened to examine Luther's teachings. The first papal commission found them to be heretical. Ah, sure. But the second merely stated that Luther's writings were that's, scandalous and offensive to pious ears. That's the pot calling the kettle black. Yeah. Finally, in July 1520, Pope Leo X issued a papal bull or a public decree that concluded that Luther's <laughs> propositions were heretical and gave Luther 120 days to recant in Rome. Luther ref- refused to recant, and on January the 3rd, 1521, Pope Leo excommunicated Martin Luther from the Catholic Church. Oh my gosh. We're going to end there uh, with Luther and pick up later. Um, There's so much more to go over. You know, we, we wanted this to, to really center around Reformation Day. Yeah. Uh, we had to do a little bit of shifting just because we are having a guest on that is actually for our Reformation podcast. Right. And so it was kind of one of those things. Well, we've talked a little bit about Calvin and we will some more in the future, but we haven't really talked about Martin. I think we're going to, we had talked about it. We'll probably at some point do, you know, one on Wesley as well, because he was another instrument uh tool for the protestant reformation but uh we are having a pretty amazing guest that we've talked about several times and we finally got an agreement so we're gonna we're gonna do that for thursday's podcast so y'all uh be waiting but go ahead Stuart. who's our uncle neil i mentioned him several times i'm sure y'all know uh a little bit about him uh before he even comes in just because We've talked about him a lot, but uh, anyway, he's the local backcracker. He's a chiropractor by trade, and he's a, a very good one. There's a there's a couple of chiropractors that go to Uncle Neil. I know, I know, and that's that's really good because a chiropractor, you know, if he really believes in what he's doing and if he's really understanding what he's doing. <laughs> And he knows that he needs to find a good chiropractor. Well, a chiropractor can't crack his own back. Not all, not not everything. And so uh, when a chiropractor goes to a different chiropractor and says, hey, I trust you to work on my body, that's saying a lot. And so there's a there's a guy that Uncle Neil trusts to 
crack his back and that this guy trusts something else. So anyway, he's uh, highly recommended around here. And I mean, you know, Neil, you know, adjusted Lila when she was just two weeks old, mm -hmm. you know. He adjusted Lila or uh, Adeline when she was right at about a week old, yep. you know. I mean, uh, he, he's, he's got me. very special hands. He's had his hands on all of me and all of my siblings and all of my cousins and He's adjusted all of us since we were babies. And so we've had uh, uh, many, many, many years of chiropractic care from our good family chiropractor, uh, Uncle Neil, or Dr. Payne. And so anyway, we will be, we're extremely happy and excited to have him on the podcast. And uh, I'm even excited to have him on in future podcasts, not even counting Thursdays. So, and speaking of uh, Dr. Payne, uh -huh. we should bring up, and we don't do this a whole lot. In fact, I think we've only done it twice, other than this. I was just thinking about it a while ago. We should uh, ask for prayers for our good friend HK. Absolutely. He apparently had a, uh, we, we've talked about HK a little bit, mm -hmm. but uh, he's one of our good friends. It's been a, a part of the Sons of Confederate Veterans. Uh, he's really into history. History is his thing. He wants people to understand the full links of it, good, bad, and otherwise. Yeah. And I admire that. You know, he is, he's a great, you know, if you want to call it a saint for that. Yeah, you know, he, been, he does great for, works. As long as I can remember. But apparently back in March, which is crazy because I've seen him since then. Yeah. He had what they considered a minor heart attack. And it's essentially just like when my dad had his and went on forever. It causes lasting problems with your body. And he's been in the hospital for, what, a week now? Mm -hmm. I just found out the day before yesterday just because of a Facebook post. I'm sure it was quiet before then, and that's understandable. Yeah, I didn't know until... But uh, definitely for our listeners, keep him in, uh, in your prayers because that's something that uh, it's not to make light of. And he is a, he's a good, good man for sure, yeah. you know. But we'll, uh, we'll end with that right there. And we'll see you next time. All right. See you on Thursday. Adios. Bye.